we're going to be full, right? We're going to be full of His Spirit, full of His Word, full of His anointing, full of His power. There, in, order, in order to be full, there's got to be a purity. Do you understand what I mean? If you're going to have a bottle that's full of oil, there can't be other things in it or else it can't be full. The gospel we are preaching is a pure gospel. I'm not saying it's always been preached pure. I'm not saying it's been without human influence or human flaw, but it is meant to be pure. It's meant to be without all the other junk. It's meant to be without marketing. It's meant to be without all the decoration. It's meant to be a gospel full of power, full of the anointing, full of the Spirit, signs and wonders to follow, a gospel that is pure. And I believe this, and I believe that God is bringing us back to a pure, full, powerful gospel. Because that's what the world needs. I have I've thought about this for a long time, of how my generation has been marketed to since we came out of the womb. We've been marketed to. We are the topic of every commercial. We see them everywhere, don't we? You turn on the TV, commercials. You drive down the road, there's billboards. Everybody's trying to sell you something, and we become convinced as we grow older that, that they don't care about us. They just want to make money from us, right? I mean, you don't, obvi- you don't think that Duracell loves you. <laughs> you don't think that Pampers really cares about your kid. They care about their money. So what are you? To them, you're something used to get to an end. Now, that's not a bad thing per se because people got to make a living. They got to sell their stuff, right? The, the byproduct of that, though, of being so oversaturated with commercials and commercialism and marketing is that we begin to develop an attitude that we are merely being marketed to all the time, that we're constantly being lied to. Because they can't all be the best, right? And, and the lie that we're told all the time, here's the lie. You're not happy. And you won't be happy until you get this. And then you'll be happy. Isn't that a lie? You're not complete. But you will be complete. See, every commercial starts with a problem and ends with a solution, right? What's the problem? You don't have this. <laughs> What's the solution? Get this. Wow, my life is better now. So in order for a commercial to work, you have to first believe that you're incomplete. Because if you're completely satisfied, you'd never buy another thing in your life, would you? <laughs> right? You'd feel good, and you'd never need anything. So what are the first thing they got to tell you is you're incomplete. But the answer to your incomplete brokenness is us. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Here we are. We've come to the rescue. But the answer always lets us down because when we get it, we find out You know, as cool as Steve Jobs is when he shows you the new iPad, turns out it doesn't make your life the best thing that's ever happened to you. It doesn't fix all your problems, solve your marriage. It doesn't solve your financial crisis. It probably puts you further in debt. This didn't fix everything, but sure felt like it when he's giving that keynote. And uh, so we developed this callous nature. As we grow up, when the gospel's preached to us, we treat it with the same skepticism that we've had to grow up with. You, have, you, you had to learn skepticism, right? Or else you'd be broke. You had to learn how not to trust everybody. So what happens when they preach the gospel to us? We go, 
yeah, it can't be that good, right? There's always a catch. And unfortunately, sometimes we as the church have contributed to this problem by glamming everything up and really selling the marketing instead of giving them the gospel. You know what I mean? I'm not saying charging for it. I'm just saying giving it freely, but, but like making it so commercial and marketed. I, you know what? I believe in getting the word out there. I believe in using billboards. I believe in books. I believe in every sort of like means possible to get the word out. I am not against any of it. But when that overshadows the message, when it becomes so glossy and unrecognizable because this is how it will sell better, we've lost the gospel. I believe God's bringing us as a church. And I don't just mean the word church. I mean the church, the body of Christ. He's bringing us all back to a place of pure gospel that you just say, here's the deal. Because Paul... I mean, this is not new, guys. This is not anything new. This was in, I mean, in the, in the 1 Corinthians, it's addressed. This is, not, this is not a new problem. Paul was up against this a lot. He said there's people who come and they try to pull the wool over your eyes and they're real fancy. And I quoted from this earlier. He said, when I come to check these guys out who claim to be apostles but really aren't, he says, I'm not checking their words because these guys are really good at words. They're fancy, they're eloquent, they're good at selling something. But he says, I'm not coming to check out their words, I'm coming to check out their power. For the kingdom of God is not a kingdom of words, but a kingdom of power. And when you preach the word, it's preached with power. In 1 Corinthians 1, he explains, I could have come and preached eloquently to you with fancy words, with fancy speech. But I made up my mind not to, so that your, your, your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. You know? But he said, I came in the power of the Spirit. I came, you saw the gospel. And I believe this. I believe the word of God, as I've said before, the word of God, as Jesus said, it's spirit and it's life. So I believe in preaching with power. And do you know, have you ever noticed when, when the gospel is preached with power, things change in your life? Revelation comes, if you let it in, Right? Because you can have the best sermon in the world and you don't open your heart to it and it won't do a thing for you. Jesus said that parable of the sower, right? The seed is perfect. It's the hearts that got to be ready. But then we've all been in services where, where the word was preached or you're in your personal time. You open the Bible and, and it's preached to you that way. And it hits you and it changes you. And something clicks and, and things change your life and, and things that were dead are now alive and things that were asleep are now awake. And you know there's power in that. And we know that the gospel is also, it's not just the preaching, but there's also, there's also signs that follow. There's, there's miracles, there's workings of power, there's gifts of the Spirit, there's, there's the fruits of the Spirit, which are a great working of power. You may think that the fruits of the Spirit are something that anybody can just copy, but it's not true. True joy can't be copied. It can't even be expressed. True love cannot be faked. True patience, forget about it. Right? The fruits of the Spirit are just that. They're the fruits of the Spirit. You can have some impressive knockouts, knock-offs for about a week, but you observe them long enough, you'll find out whether they're real or not. So this gospel is a powerful gospel. It's, I mean, I'm, I'm saying I, I've seen this gospel take paralyzed people and make them walk. I've seen this gospel take addicts and make them free. I've seen this gospel take absolute, total criminals and turn them into powerful men and women of God 
that are, have no desire to go back to that old way. I've seen the power manifested in different ways all the time. This is a powerful gospel. Let's not short sell it by trying to gloss it up to be something it's not. 2 Corinthians 7. Did I say 2 Corinthians 7? I meant 3. That's a long way off from 7. There's really no excuse for that. But you'll forgive me, won't you? 2 Corinthians 3. And, and I apologize. If I were to properly preach 2 Corinthians 3, guys, I would really get into it. And I would, I would really explain all of the, 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 the contrast between uh, the law, the old covenant and the new covenant, the law and grace. There's some beautiful things in there that I wish I had more time, but that's not where we're supposed to go tonight. I really want to get to 2 Corinthians 4. So we've got to talk about, a little bit about 3 because 3 sets everything up. And um, so please forgive me and you go, he's not really taking the time to explain that as it should be. I encourage you, study this on your own. And God willing, we'll come back and, and really teach on it. But tonight, it's not our goal. So 2 Corinthians 3, he has been challenged by these false apostles who, these, these guys that are, that are the, you know, they're the marketing geniuses. They're the, uh, they're the slick willies. They, uh, they've got their impressive resumes and they've got letters from all the places that they've been to. And these letters are talking about how powerful they are. What a great speaker they are. What a blessing they were to our church. And I got these letters. And they say, you, you want to have me at your church? I got letters. <laughs> you know, and they go, oh, look at you. Look at that. Do you know this person? Do you know this church? That's a big church. They put a letter. They like me there, you know. They have me back every now and then. So, okay, wow, you got these big letters that show how great you are. And, and then Paul comes, and he's just ready to preach, right? This is Paul, the apostle that brought them the gospel in the first place. And they go, where are your letters? <laughs> he goes, what do you mean? Like, um, you know, those guys had letters. Uh, we're just supposed to take you at your word? <laughs> I mean, he's got to be getting annoyed with these guys. Because not only are they coming and and, and like... And tainting the minds of these people, but they're also coming and they're going, you know, that Paul guy, he 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 not so great. You know, he come in here, he the first person that come in here, but you know, you know, he he he's he's really not all he's cracked up to be. I mean, you you need to listen to us. You know, you need to give your offerings to us. Don't send them to that man. You never know where he's gonna go. He's gonna go, he's gonna take your offering and take it to some other church. Do you want that? No, you give your offering to us. So they were not just commending themselves, they were bashing Paul. Double whammy. The biggest thing was they were corrupting the gospel. And some of them were folks that were trying to convince them, you know what, <laughs> you know this stuff that Paul's preaching about a new covenant stuff? That's kind of true, but also you really need to, to still keep these certain laws and Jewish things or else, you know, that's the only way this is going to work. And they, they wouldn't, you know, this, these Corinthians, some of them had never been Jewish in their life. So they're going, okay, well, what do I have to do? Well, you have to do this and you have to do this. And they were bringing the law back to these people when, when they'd been set free. And um, so in 2 Corinthians 3, it says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? In other words, do I have to prove who I am to you? Or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? Now listen to this. This is great because this shows the power of the real gospel. You want to hear it? You are our letter. You see, if you're really, if you're really preaching the gospel, you don't need a big website. You can have one. I'm, I'm all for that. 
but you don't need it. If you're really in the gospel, you don't need all the t-shirts, all the marketing tools. Do you know what you need? People that have been changed by the gospel. Any real minister will be able to point to somebody and say they were changed. And he says, listen, guys, I don't have fancy letters. I have you. You are our letter because the real gospel does not need to be glossed up. It's evidenced in everybody who's heard it and received it. He says, you are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men. That means it's proven, it's shown, it's tested. Being manifested or revealed that you are a letter of Christ. So you really not, we didn't write this letter. We didn't come up with it. This is a letter that Jesus wrote. This is a letter of Christ. Written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. I love that. Oh, man. That your life can be written by the spirit of God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ toward who? God. That's where our confidence is. You see, see the, 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 the slick, fancy, we hope you don't notice what's behind the curtain preaching of the gospel. Puts confidence in the flesh. Puts confidence in our marketing department. But he's saying our confidence is in God. It's not in us. It's not in what we can do or how we can speak or what we can, what we can tell you or show you. It's in God. Our confidence is in God. And you know what? If we don't have him, we've got nothing. You know, and, and that's, that's, a, that's a dangerous ledge to get out on is to say, listen, if I'm, never, if I'm preaching without the power of God, without the presence of God, it's going to fall flat, but it's the only place to be. It's the only place to be. It, you know, we can develop pretty good coping mechanisms and s- programs so slick that if God was not in the room, no one would notice. But is that what you want? I'm all for programs. If they're authored and empowered by the Spirit of God, I'm all for them. But I'm never for them becoming a coping mechanism so people don't notice when God left the room. And it could happen. <laughs> and he says, our confidence is through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything is coming from ourselves. But listen, our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants. Listen to that. Now, the word minister and the word servants are basically the same thing. Uh, we are servants of the new covenant, not of the letter. Now, what's he talking about in this, in this instance? We've, we use this in many different contexts, but in context of this scripture, he's talking about the letter that was written on the stones, right? He's talking about the commandments that were given through Moses. And he says, we're not servants of that letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, listen to this. This means we are ministers. Now, we all are. You know, you may not be an apostle, you may not be a pastor, but you do carry the ministry of reconciliation. The scripture tells us that you do carry the gospel with you wherever you go. You are a minister. And so as a minister, you're not a minister of the letter. You're not a minister of a doctrine. You're not a minister of a message. You're the minister of us of the spirit. You're bringing God with you wherever you go. Do you realize what this means? He he's saying, I'm not bringing to you. I'm not bringing to you a, just a message or a doctrine. I'm bringing the very spirit of God to you. 
to minister to something, to serve somebody with it, means that you, you have it and you give it. Now, he says, before, what we had was the letter and we gave it. That's what people had. You had it and you gave it. But he says, we're not the ministers of the letter. We're ministers of the Spirit. Now, that means you have the Spirit and you've been authorized to impart the Spirit. That's powerful stuff, guys. It's powerful stuff. That doesn't mean you're outside of God. No, he's, he's, he's the one doing all of it through you, right? You're not authorized outside of him. You're authorized through him to be ministers of the Spirit. So that means when we bring the gospel to somebody, guys, you're not bringing them a belief system. You're bringing them face-to-face with the living God himself. You're bringing them Jesus. And isn't that a lot better? All the belief system stuff will come later, but if they can meet Jesus, don't you think they'll believe? Some will, some won't. Some will reject Jesus straight to his face, but that's not your business. Here's the deal. Here's what it says in the next verse. It says, but if the ministry of death, sorry, I, I skipped it, uh, who, who made us adequate as servants of new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory. So when Moses brought those commandments down from the mountain, do you remember what happened? They couldn't even look at his face. It was glowing. But it was so bright, they couldn't look at it. And, and you know what? He also didn't want them to look at it. Why? Why wouldn't you want people to see your face glowing? That sounds like a fun party trick. Because if they see your face glowing, they see your face fading. And we'll see that in the next verse. You say, that sounds odd. I'm just cheating. I'm reading ahead. So he says this. He says that the ministry of death in letters engraved on stone came with glory. Because, you know, sometimes in, in receiving the new covenant, sometimes it's, it's in vogue and popular to bash the old covenant. We don't need to do that. The old covenant was great. The new covenant's better. The book of Hebrews really illustrated that well to me. It talks about how good the old covenant was. Listen, it was the best thing going. The Israelites had it better than the Moabites and the Amalekites and the Philistines. The Israelites had the best. They had a covenant. At least they had a covenant. It was a good covenant. It was the forerunner to Jesus. It set them up to receive Jesus. But the new covenant's better, right? We have a new covenant based on better promises. So you don't have to bash the old covenant and say, oh, it's horrible. You can just say, listen, thank God, because it made way for the new covenant. And so if that came with glory, and it did, it had glory because the Bible says the law was holy. It came with glory. It was of God. So that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was. Even though it was fading, they still couldn't look at it. How will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even with more glory? Do you hear that? The ministry of the Spirit. What does that mean? We have to understand what ministry means, right? Ministry does not mean a nice title and a place on the platform. To minister is like going to a restaurant and the waiter ministers to you the food that you ordered. They're ministering it to you. That's the word. That's what it is. So if I'm a minister, that means I've been given something to serve to others. I've been given the gospel to serve. I've been, given, I've been given the anointing to serve to others. You've been given something to minister. 
That does not mean a minister. We've used minister as a, in the Bible, it's a noun and it's a verb. We've used it so much as a noun, like to minister is just to uh, be seen and, and be applauded. But to minister means to serve something to someone. And listen, it, it means we are ministers of the Spirit. That means you've been given the Spirit to minister the Spirit to those that God's put you in front of. Now, does that not sound amazing? Like, you don't have to, I mean, you don't have to come up with a million stories to tell. You have been given the Spirit to give. To like, wow, that's just too cool. Verse 9. For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, so the law condemned us, the law showed us uh, that we were short of the standards of God. The law showed us his standards and our inability to reach those standards on our own. That was why it was called the minister of condemnation because it, it, it did condemn, it showed us that we were unworthy. Which you needed to see so that you would know you needed Jesus. That's why the law was there. So that they'd know, hey, we don't measure up. Now we know we need Jesus, right? So it says the ministry of condemnation has glory. So it had glory. Much more does the ministry of righteousness. What does this mean? It means there is a ministry where righteousness is ministered to us. It's given to us. It's granted to us. Instead of condemnation, there is now righteousness. It even more abounds. Now, if you know the word abound, it means more than you need, more than you ever could hold, right? Abound in glory means more glory than you ever could expect or want. This is good. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it means you can't you no longer could become a preacher of the old covenant. It doesn't have any glory anymore. As Hebrews says, there was a way into the Holy of Holies, but that way is passing away to make way for the new way. So Hebrews says, if you reject Jesus as the sacrifice, there no longer remains for you another sacrifice. In other words, you can't have a guy get up and preach the old covenant and say, well, this still works. No, it doesn't. Once the new covenant came, the old covenant passed away. Now, if you look at the old covenant properly, you'll see Jesus all over it. If you look at the law, I don't want you to throw your Old Testament out. Thank God. Jesus is all over it. You look, you see him, you see God, and you see everything is a shadow of what was to come. And it says here, though, it says that if what fades away was with much glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Are you sensing there's a lot of glory in the gospel? There's a lot of glory in this covenant. There's a lot of glory in this ministry. And I'm not talking about glory to man. I'm talking about pure glory of God. Therefore, having such a hope, having hope of what? Glory and power. Having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. Okay, now can you say that about yourself? Can you say, last time I told somebody about Jesus, I used great boldness. You know, a lot of us will say, no, I, I don't think I did. Well, you know what? I believe the more and more this is revealed to you about what kind of a gospel you have in your hand, what kind of a power that has been given to you to give out, 
the ministry that's been put in your hands, his ministry, the bolder you get about it. The bolder you get because you realize this is not my game. This is his. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here for me. I'm, I'm here for him to work through me. As the scripture says, man, uh, in the, I mean, a couple chapters later, we won't talk about it right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> we won't talk about it now. But in 2 Corinthians 5, you know what I'm talking about. Where he says, he says, God, here's our message. God was in Christ reconciling, bringing the world back to himself. And he says, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. He, in fact, says he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. That means God is not preaching the gospel. He gave it to you to preach. But you're supposed to preach as if he's preaching. Because later in the chapter, it says, So therefore, as ambassadors of Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us, picture God making his appeal. How do you think he would make it? Would he be trying to trick people? Would he be like, you know, um, maybe you guys want to come to, um, uh, I don't know, like, I don't know if you're free or if you believe in stuff or whatever, but um, we'll come see a movie and maybe, I don't know, talk about it after. You know, think about it. How would God make his appeal? Well, pretty cool, wouldn't it? So then the scripture says God's making his appeal through you. How do you make your appeal? Wait a second. How do you make your appeal? It's not the case. How do you make his appeal? You're, you're bringing a message from him. That's what an ambassador does. An ambassador doesn't free write everything. An ambassador doesn't freestyle and freelance his own message and go, on the side, I'd like to work out a deal with you, Belgium. Uh, an ambassador just simply represents the one he's sent by. Says what he's told to say. Offers what he's told to offer. As an ambassador, you don't have to make up your own script. You just say what God wants you to say. You just let God make his appeal through you. And you say, well, that's easy. But when I was in the Lloyd Mall, I didn't feel like God was saying anything. I felt like I was pretty much on my own. You got to let him. I mean, you got to let him interrupt you. You got to just trust him. And when you walk in going, how do I present this gospel? Picture this in your mind. How would God present this gospel? Now do it that way. But I can't. I don't have a big bassy voice. (laughs) But he says, having such a hope, we have great boldness in our speech. You don't have to fake anything. Just be who God made you to be. Let him speak through you. He says this. And are not like Moses. We're not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. So that's what we were talking about earlier. He didn't want people to see that that glorious is fading. It was limited. But their minds were hardened for until this very day at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it's removed in Christ. In other words, they read it and they don't really understand it. They don't really get the point of the whole thing. They thought the whole point of the thing was to keep them in line. The whole point of the thing was to show them their need for Jesus. Yes, it was to show them his ways, but it also was to show them their inadequacy to do it on their own because Christ was the fulfillment of it. So there was a veil. If they didn't see Jesus, he says, 
that veil, that understanding. It's like it's like reading it. Have you ever read the Bible and you go, I just don't get it. I try. I made myself sit down and read it for half an hour every day and I didn't get it. Would you know that veil is removed in Christ? You don't have to sit there and not understand your Bible. You ask him, Lord, unveil your word for me. Show me, give me that spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you that I can open up that book and understand it because he says the veil is lifted in Christ. We can look in the Old Testament and get it now because of Jesus. He says, but to this day, wherever Moses is read, in other words, wherever the law is read, a veil lies over their heart. They miss the whole point. But whenever a person turns, you have to turn. It's not just smack right in front of you. You've got to turn. Whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now where the, now the Lord is the Spirit. So remember he said we are ministers of the Spirit. Now he says the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. There is absolute release from captivity. But we all, with unveiled face... There's nothing between you and God anymore. There's nothing between you and understanding his word. There's nothing between you and his presence. There's nothing between your face and his face. We are unveiled. Which means, man, I can read the word and God can speak directly to me through it. And I can understand him and I can know him and I can know his presence and his ways. Don't you see why this gospel has got to be pure? No veils. No veils, no tricks, no smokes, no mirrors, just the gospel. What's taken away, it says, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed. So that means completely changed into a new being. Transformed into the same image. Same image as who? Him. From glory to glory. Just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Now we're going to go to chapter 4, and I want you to see this. Therefore, because of all of that, since we have this ministry. Do you hear that? It says, since we have this ministry. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't say since we aspire to it, since we're reaching for it. It says since we have it. We've got His ministry. Do you realize that? This is His ministry He gave to you. This is His call He gave to you. This is his inheritance he gave to you. This is his ministry. Since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. You don't give up. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame. We've renounced the things hidden because of shame. There's a purity that's got to return. We've renounced those things that are hidden. We are now with unveiled faces. God is willing to reveal himself in all of his fullness, in all of his power to humanity if we'll just let him be pure through us. If we can be pure vessels that he'll use to show exactly who he is without all this other stuff we throw in to make him look better. If we can just let him be him, then it says we've renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness. You realize tricking somebody into praying a prayer with you is not the gospel, right? 
There's got to be faith. You've got to say, I believe this stuff. I just preached the gospel. And you know what? We don't need to be crafty about it. You don't need to be tricky about it. Stop trying to sell the gospel and just preach the gospel. Not walking in craftiness or adulterating. Do you know what adulterating the word of God means? Watering it down. Putting something else in it to make it more palatable. The word of God is much too strong. It's too spicy for you. I'll put in a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and it'll be a little bit more easy for you to take in. Just the spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. Well, the word of God is just perfect. It's perfect. It's pure. It's holy. It's good. It's life-changing. You know, if you really come into contact with it, it's just that good. You, I mean, you can't make it better. You can't make it better. It's like trying to make the sun brighter. You can't do it. God could do it, but we can't do it. And you're trying to make the gospel better than it is. It's impossible. So not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation, that means the showing, the revealing, the unveiling. This is what we're talking about, unveiling, the manifestation of truth. So letting the truth be unveiled for everyone to see. Commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Listen to that. So it says a real minister of God should be able, without craftiness, without watering anything down, to just say, here I am. This is, this is the gospel. And I don't have to trick you. I don't have to put on a personality or persona. I don't have to put on a special accent. I don't have to, I don't have to act one way with you and a different way around somebody else. This is how we preach the gospel, guys, by becoming pure in our actions and our words, just by letting him be. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about self-condemning so that you feel like I can't ever preach the gospel because I'm not pure. No, 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 no. Forget that. Forget that, that because that attitude will keep you in your room hiding in a corner thinking you're never worthy of anything. You are, he, listen, what did he say? We are made adequate by him. But you've got to let him work with what you've got. Give him your life. Let him work with it and stop playing around and trying to be one way with one group of people, another way with another group of people, and just be who God made you to be, no matter who you're with. Be his. All his. Remember, how many of you were here helping out with the minister's conference in April? So not everybody, but, but a lot of you. Uh, Pastor Tracy Harris gave a great message about, about, um, about having singleness, of, of, of your eye being single. Now, you'd have to go back and get the CD, but he, he really talked about not having, not having duplicity in our lives, but letting ourselves just be pure, just letting ourselves have integrity and just say, I have one vision, one, one, my eye is clear. Because Jesus said, if the eye is clear, the whole body is clear, right? And, and so just have that singleness of vision of, all right, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. I'm his. And you don't have to be more than one person. Just be all his. And let him work with it. You know what? I'm aware we all are messed up in some areas. But I'm also aware that we have the great physician. We have the great healer. We've got the great builder. We've got the great creator working on us, in us, and through us. So if you'll just let yourself be 
who he made you to be and stop hiding around and tricking people about it and just be his and say, listen, if I make a mistake, I repent. God knows my heart. And listen, be upfront if you have to be. You don't have to tell everybody every mistake you've made. But if you made it right in front of them, you go, that was a mistake. <laughs> don't try to hide it. Don't try to twist it. Don't try to spin it. Just say, you know what? That was a mistake. I'm sorry. Thank God I'm walking in the forgiveness of God. And he, you know what? He sees me. He knows me. And he's working on me. And then stop doing it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Thank God. All right. So what does he say? We are commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. That means we live such a life that every man, we're not just living by our own conscience. We're saying, you check us out. Here we are. Take a look. What do you see? That's who we are. Do do we seem like apostles to you? Do we live what we preach? Because this is the question. This is what he's talking about. If we preach, we preach with power. How do you know you're preaching with power? Did it work its way into your life? Because if you're not preaching with power, your life and your message are very different things. If you're preaching with power, your life is a reflection and an illustration of everything you're preaching. If you really believe this gospel, it will preach whether you open your mouth or not. Here's what he says. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And it was those that didn't believe. You don't believe it, you're still not going to understand it. But the minute you open your, let God open your eyes, it makes sense. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Do you realize that? The gospel is the gospel of the glory of Christ. It's bright. It's awesome to look at. And it is light. Remember what the scripture says, what Jesus said about the father of lights. There is no shadow. There's no shifting. So light is pure. Light is just light. And it says that if people don't get the gospel, if you preach and they're not getting it, and they just look at you like, yeah. or they don't believe you, it's because their eyes are shut. They've been blinded. But the gospel is glorious. It's full of light. And when your eyes are open to it, there's nothing better. And there's no way to improve upon it. You can work for thousands of years, and you'll never find a way to improve the gospel. It's as good as it could be. It's better than you could have made up. There are a lot of books these days. And I'm not trying to bash anybody in particular. That's why I won't name anybody. But I read a couple books that have become popular. And um, here's the kind of things that I found in there that really kind of set off some warnings in me. When they say, here's what the scripture says. But I can't imagine that it, that that God would do that. That doesn't make sense. Or a God of love wouldn't do that. And you know, they interpret God by their own definition of what love is or what mercy is or what judgment is. They, they, they say, this doesn't make sense with my view of God. Therefore, that's wrong and we've got to find a way to tweak that to make it match my vision. As opposed to saying, this is what the word says. It doesn't match with my view. So I'm going to change my view 
to match the word. Because if I've ever thought that his ways are higher than mine, his, word, his, his ways are higher, his thoughts are higher, and he's saying, as we sang, come up higher. I'm not saying come down lower. He's saying come up higher. As one teacher said, and I thought it was wonderful, he said, has it ever occurred to you that God's idea of justice might be more developed than yours? Might be more evolved than your own? Whoa, really? No, 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 no. See, I've got CNN and... I've got access to books all over the place. I've got them all on my Kindle. And um, I've been listening to the greatest teachers in the world. I think I've got a pretty good handle on what this means. Listen, if we'll just humble ourselves before the Lord and say, you know more than I do, show me your ways. Show me your ways. I'm not going to try to make you fit an idea I have. I'm going to make my ideas fit you as you've described yourself. The gospel can't be improved. Don't even try it. Just let it show. Because the worst thing is, guys, when people's eyes are unveiled and they don't see the gospel. When their eyes are unveiled and there's a veil over what you're preaching. Let it just be glorious. Let it be full of light, which means unadulterated, pure. He's blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What does this say to you? This says to me that when we preach the gospel, people see God. Because when we preach the gospel and people's eyes are unveiled, they see the light of the glory of Christ. Sorry, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And in verse 4, it says, they would see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So when you preach the the gospel as it's meant to be preached, people will see God. That kind of makes anything else we bring to the table kind of lack. Here's what it says. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Isn't that wonderful? You know, I, I, and we're almost done here, guys, and I ask you to hang with me just a bit more. But, boy, it does make it easy. When you can preach the gospel and you can share the gospel with your friends and your family and your coworkers, and you can do it purely without any alternative motives, ulterior motives, without any other without trying to reach a quota, just be a believer telling them about Jesus. And guess what, guys? When it gets complicated and they start wanting to argue about all these things, do you know what? We don't know every argument. You don't need to argue with everybody. Just bring it back to Jesus. I'm not trying to argue. Somebody gets somebody starts to argue about Christians in, in Bosnia versus Muslims in Serbia. You know what? I'm just going to bring you back to Jesus. Because he is the foundation. And we mess things up when we get into these arguments about stuff that doesn't even matter. Or stuff that I don't know about. Let me bring you back to Jesus. He is the point. As I said before, a Christian fundamentalist would not be blowing up buildings. Because a Christian fundamentalist is fundamentally like Christ. 
And Christ was fundamentally like God. And God is fundamentally love. So a Christian fundamentalist would be fundamentally full of love and of the spirit and of the power of Jesus Christ. And so don't even start telling me what this freak in Norway did and tell me that's somebody that did it by because he was an extreme right wing Christian fundamentalist. I know what a Christian fundamentalist looks like. It looks like Jesus. So if you ever want to know what Christianity is, look at Jesus. Don't look at some of the people that have messed it up. Don't look at the people that are doing it wrong. If people start to argue about that and say, well, what about this person? What about that person? You say, what about Jesus? Because the devil has spent all his capital, the enemy has spent all his capital, all his credit, all of his time trying to convince people that Christianity is about something other than Jesus himself. And if the world will believe Christianity is about the actions of some people calling themselves Christians, they'll miss the point. But if you point them back to Jesus, they'll get the point. Always back to Jesus. He is the gospel. He is the gospel. He is the light. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. So if you try to separate the way from Jesus, it's not going to work. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And we'll close with this. He says this. For God, who said, light shall shine out of darkness. When did he say that, guys? Creation. He said, Light shall shine out of darkness. What happened when he said that? Light came, right? Out of nothing, light came. It did not come from the other side of the universe. It just came out of nowhere. Light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Did you hear that? The same God that says let there be light. And the universe is filled with light. Has said the same thing to your heart. Light be. So that you can shine the glory of God. This is cool. Because this tells me. That God. The same creative power that created the world. Is working in you to spread the gospel. And you think you need an aid to that. This is all we need. It's the pure gospel. Because he says, when this happens, the one who has shone in our hearts, that same light to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He calls light be to our hearts, from our hearts, to show, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So this is the thing. You preach it, You let God work with you and people see the glory of God reflected in Jesus. And they see God for who he is. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So that the surpassing greatness of the power. Listen to that. Surpassing. What does that mean? It goes past, right? Surpassing greatness of the power. You ever think of that when you're witnessing to your friends? That word power should be there. Surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. That's it. Now he goes on, I encourage you to read the rest of that because he talks about the things that as as apostles he's had to face and go through to preach this gospel. But for tonight we'll close with this thought. That we have a treasure inside of us. Now that treasure is not meant to always be hidden. It's to show. What did it say? To show. 
that the surpassing power of the greatness, this surpassing power of the greatness is from God, not from ourselves. So if we'll let, you know, what did he say? What did he say we had to do? We had to forsake and renounce the things hidden because of shame. We had to get rid of craftiness. We have to get rid of deceitfulness and just let the gospel be pure in our words and in our deeds. Just let God work through you. You may be broken. God will heal you. Start where you are. and Just say, I'm his. Be who you are in front of everybody. Just be his. His, his, his. You're not finished yet. He's still, per- he's still perfecting things. Your spirit is perfect. But your soul, what does the scripture say? We've got to renew our minds by the washing of the word, right? Uh, we still have these old habits we've got to get rid of. That's okay. That's happening. God's working in you. You're, you're, you're saying, God, work in me. I allow you into my life. But now, don't have a different version of you when you're at work and a different version at church because the gospel loses its power when you do that. You just walk in purity before God. And you say, I don't care who rejects me because if they reject me, they're rejecting. I mean, if they reject me because of Jesus, I'm not saying they reject you because you smashed into the car. But if they're rejecting you because of Jesus, then just say, listen, they're rejecting him, not me. And they're rejecting him because their eyes are blinded. But when their eyes are open, they're going to see glory. They're going to see light. They're going to see truth. This does not need to be wrapped up in a bow. It just needs to be pure. Let's bring it back to that. Bring it back to the purity and the power that God meant it for you to be. So, so don't be scared. Don't be intimidated. Don't be worried. Trust God. What did it say? Our trust, our adequacy is from Him. We, we put our trust in Him. Just trust God. I have this sign stuck in my head. Driving to go see Tia. Wait, go see Tia. We were married. I'm driving with Tia to see her parents in, in Spokane, Washington. There was um, one guy with a sign. This was in May, so you can guess what the sign said. It said, Judgment Day is coming, May 21st. Right? So I, I rolled my eyes and kept going. But then there was a sign a few miles later in the next town over. And a fellow was simply holding a sign on the median, and it said, trust Jesus. And I smiled, and I said, yeah, I will. And I, I see that sign every now and then when I go, how am I going to do this? How are we going to do this? How is it? Just trust Jesus. When you trust him, trusting him is not sitting on a couch going, okay, Jesus, do whatever. For, for Peter, trusting Jesus was getting out of the boat and stepping on water, Right? For Philip, trusting Jesus was running and catching that chariot. For Stephen, trusting Jesus was preaching the gospel in front of a hostile crowd, holding nothing back. For Paul, trusting Jesus meant walking back into the city that just killed you, stoned you to death. You got up and walked right back in that city. For Peter, trusting Jesus meant going and (laughs) even to a group of people that, that hate you, dwelling in a city where a beast himself was dwelling that wanted to destroy the Christians and saying, I honor you because I honor God and I will not run, I won't flee, I won't hide. I'm going to stay here as an apostle because God put me here. Trust Jesus. 
you stand up? We trust you, Lord. We trust your gospel. We trust, we trust the truth. We trust your, your light. We trust the word. We trust you. Lord, I, I, I know that you are, you've already forgiven us, but I, I, just, just for our sake, <laughs> thank you for forgiving us. We ask you to, for, I mean, just thank you for forgiving us for, for trying to dress up a gospel that's up as good as it could be. For trying to put our own spin on things or, or trying to put our own spin on our own personality. Lord, may we be made more and more like you, beholding as in a mirror your glory so that we are transformed. By looking at you, we're transformed to the image of God from glory to glory. We want to be changed. We want to be the kind of people that someone can look at and say, I've seen Jesus. Not that they would look at us and glorify us, but that you would be glorified through us. That people would look at us and not praise us, but they would look at us and praise you. We ask, Lord, that we would be the kind of people who can say, we commend ourselves to your conscience in the sight of God. We don't have to use craftiness or anything else, but we can return to the purity and power of your gospel. I pray, Lord, that everybody in this room would be so trusting in you that they could preach with boldness that they could share with boldness, that they could love with boldness, that they could walk with boldness, that they could pray for the sick and see them recover with boldness, that they could trust you even with their own inadequacies and, and shortcomings and trust you that you can bring them out of that and bring them through that and above that. We trust you in Jesus' name. Your grace is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient for your power is made perfect in our weakness. Your grace is more than enough. We rely on your grace. Use us as pure vessels that we can show your pure gospel to a world that is broken, dying, and in desperate need of it. In Jesus' name.